British people aren't the worst. Friday, November 2nd, 2018, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Molly Quell, contributing editor at Dutch News, and with me today are not Paul and Gordon, but instead, two of my other Dutch News colleagues, Shanae Bostash and Deborah Nichols Lee. Hey guys, it's not it's nice to see you all here. It's good to be here. Yes. This is your first time on the podcast. And we've had a we have a ladies takeover edition. We've kicked the boys out, and now I'm I'm here with my lovely female colleagues. It is, and I think it's going to be much a much better podcast. I hope. This week we'll be discussing the Dutch nanny state, the bankruptcy of an electric wagon manufacturer, a strange fishing expedition, and I'll be saying some things about sports, which probably make no sense. But Gordon isn't here to correct me. For our discussion, we'll be joined by Dutch News Editor-in-Chief Robin Pascoe, and the Amsterdamers will take over to talk about plans to relocate the red light district. Consumer program Radar Radio revealed earlier this week that funeral home Dela is illegally taking the fingerprints of deceased people without the consent of their next of kin. Weeks after the funeral, Dela approaches relatives by email with an offer of a ring or a necklace with the fingerprints engraved on the jewelry. Under Dutch law, you may not process fingerprints and other biometric data since it's considered special personal data. Dela said in a statement that relatives often ask about the possibilities of taking the fingerprints when it's too late. Dela takes the fingerprints as soon as possible to ensure good quality prints, but that does mean that permission cannot always be requested. Dela has now changed their policy, and for the time being, fingerprints will only be taken after explicit consent from the relatives. It's a, it's very strange to be reading the op because Paul always does this. But, uh, Shanai, when you were editing the script today, you found how many mistakes in the uh, op there, there was an infinitive that, that wasn't quite natural. Okay, is that, is that it? No, I mean, you have to, I feel it's Paul, so you should just be like, no, the script was complete and total garbage. It was awful, and you had to spent hours fixing it this morning. I think if Paul had said it in his own beautiful English tone, it would have been fine. You are so much nicer than we usually are. The maker of an electric wagon has filed for bankruptcy this week after its carts were banned from the roads. One of its stint vehicles was involved in the fatal crash with a train in Oss last month, where four children lost their lives. Government inspectors drew up an initial report and, after seeing it, Transport Minister Cora van Nieuwenhuizen barred the vehicles from use. On Thursday, a court in Utrecht upheld this ban, although a daycare centre had argued that it had forced them to find costly alternative transport instead. The stints were often owned or leased by childcare centres and used to transport up to 10 children to school. So, Shania, I've seen these things in, like, the bike lanes, and they take up a tremendous amount of space. Um, so how, how did this whole thing, like, how did they get approved as a vehicle in the first place? Well, there were some questions raised by road safety groups in 2011 when they were approved, but they were still allowed on the roads. Actually, manufacturers and insurers now are asking for a review of all this kind of modern electric people carrier, these segways, motorised scooters, whatever, because they say the rules are really unclear and also new models are appearing all the time. So what exactly were the stint's uh, safety issues? Actually, we don't know yet because the government hasn't released its report into the awful accident last month in Oss. But um, newspapers have reported that other stints have stopped working on railway crossings or they've had brake failure. So it looks like if anyone else is going to solve the problems, they're going to have to start a new company because uh, the managing partner of Stint Urban Mobility, 
Edwin Renzin has had enough. He's told the Telegraph that he missed the autumn uh, vacancy, so he's taking his kids off on holiday. I'm, I'm glad he gets to take his kids on holiday. The former owner of a golden Buddha, which contains the mummified body of a monk, has told a Dutch court that he no longer owns the statue and that he does not know the identity of its new owner. Oscar van Overeem told judges on Wednesday that he swapped the Buddha with another collector, that the new owner is Chinese, and that the swap was done without paperwork because the new owner doesn't want to be known. Questions about the thousand-year-old Buddha's ownership arose when it became the star item in a show at the Hungarian Natural History Museum in Budapest in 2015. Pictures of the Buddha were shown on a Chinese news program, leading villagers in Yangzhang to claim it had been stolen from their temple in 1995. So the owner denied it was this missing Buddha then? Yeah, so he had originally claimed from the outset that the statue that he owned was not the one that was like missing from this temple. Um, he bought the statue in Hong Kong in 1996, um, and Hong Kong has long had a reputation for being like a place where you can buy illegally acquired like Chinese artifacts. And he says that it lacks some of the distinguishing marks that the missing statue has, including a hole in the left hand and a broken neck. But can he just swap this statue with something else without paperwork, without paying tax? That is extremely unclear. I suspect the Belasting Deans may be very interested in this. It doesn't seem like this is a thing that's like normally done, but it's also not clear that there's like explicit laws against this. He claims that he swapped the Buddha with a Chinese collector for eight other objects, and the judge will issue a ruling in the case on December 12th. If you look carefully in the St. Janspik River in Arnhem, you might catch a glimpse of an exotic species. The goldfish, deposited by a mystery miscreant, 186 goldfish were removed from the river by professional fishermen and rehomed in a separate pond on Sunday. The number of goldfish still at large is unknown, but it is hoped that the additional indigenous pike, which the water board plans to introduce, will make a meal of any stragglers whose foreign presence risks upsetting the river's natural ecosystem. It's not the first time these unwanted pets have been found in the Janspeg. In April, a man was caught illegally dumping 11 goldfish in the river and was given the impossible task of finding them all and fishing them out. And this strange behaviour is also not limited to Gelderland. Last year in Utrecht, a misguided businessman tipped 280 goldfish into the Brouwersgracht believing they would make the canal more decorative. I remember when this the story about the guy having to fish out things, the 11 fish came out, and just the endless jokes about how you would even find 11 goldfish in these you canals. You covered it on the podcast. Yeah, I we did. We talked detail, about it. Yeah. There, was a, there was a lot of joking around huh. about this. So please don't dump your goldfish into any canal. Or, or any, any other pet. And just <laughs> anything. Just don't dump things in the canals. It's a fishy business. That's what I say. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Shen. <laughs> Somehow, I have been tasked with doing sports this week, which, despite literally knowing nothing about any of the sports, I'm going to talk about. Max Verstappen, who I think plays competitive Mario Kart, won in Mexico's Grand Prix last weekend, leaving him fifth in the points total. In soccer, I mean football news, PSV Eindhoven are out of the KNV Bay Cup after they chose to field a B team, which I think has something to do with using stinging insects, but honestly, I'm not clear. Actually, I think they use those Asian hornets that have just come to Amsterdam. Oh yeah, I, I did. I saw this article yesterday about how uh, there's this exotic hornet species, which I am allergic to bee stings, like extremely allergic, and so I was like threatening to just not come to Amsterdam today because I was fearing that I would die. It's a great weapon on the football pitch. <laughs> Meanwhile, Ajax beat Feyenoord 3-0 while the Rotterdam team was playing down a man. And there was uh, also some news about um, the Formula One race coming to the Netherlands, I think, this morning. I think I saw this. It's a step closer to coming to uh, 
Zandvoort. Yeah, well, there's a great track at Zandvoort, which you can visit if you go to stay in the holiday village nearby. Do you do you stay in the holiday village nearby, Shanae? That would be too much to admit. Yeah, I was going to say, that makes you extremely Dutch. Like, more Dutch than, than my actual Dutch boyfriend, I think. Anyway, if we did it, we only did it to be close to the track. Fair enough, fair enough. So perhaps we will be getting some Formula One action here in the Netherlands. I hope that I, I managed to cover sports not too badly, although I'm sure Gordon is going to cry upon hearing this segment later. Everyone thinks the Netherlands is a place where anything goes, but actually there's a fat layer of conservatism under this liberal varnish. Earlier this week, Dutch Prime Minister Mark Rutte lit up mild surprise when he told Canadian school kids looking forward to their new legal cannabis, don't try it at all. A few days later, Junior Health Minister Paul Blockhouse was ramming home the clean living message. He represents the strict Protestant Christen Uni, part of the government, but just with five seats. When he presented the cabinet of three other parties with his plans to stick up the price of cigarettes to 10 euros a pack, stop alcohol discounting in shops and make sugar free drinks cheaper, his colleagues told him, whoa. The VVD, De Sessensester and the Christian Democrats think this is all a bit too nanny state and that they should not be busting anyone who enjoys a glass or three. Or... And Moni, do you enjoy a glass or three? I think... Looking I think a little bit pasty on the podcast today. Five. I think I was... Uh, yeah, I am... In, in regular podcast listeners will not be surprised to discover that I am once again hungover. But there are benefits to the uh, to the, the current situation that I find myself in, right, Chennai? I mean, there's benefits to booze and, and to cannabis, right? You tell yourself, Molly, <laughs> that. Uh, actually, it looks like the cabinet is uh, more worried about um, limiting trade and stopping corner shops making enough money from their cigarette sales to stay in business. Hold on, though. Didn't the health minister, Hugh de Jonger, admit that he himself likes a bit of the old sunbed? What else has party killer Mr Blockhouse been up to then? Well, he's trying to ban smoking on cafe terraces, which is not a popular idea here in the Netherlands. He's also drawing up rules on using electronic cigarettes, and he's asking the EU to change the way it measures tar and nicotine in fags. We'll be discussing Amsterdam's red light district after this word from our sponsors. For over 30 years, Access has been helping internationals settle in the Netherlands. Access is staffed by an all-volunteer team, themselves internationals, who know firsthand what the challenges are with settling in a new country. They can answer your questions or guide you to the right resources, and they also offer an on-call counselling service. You can find out more information about Access on their website, www.access-nl.org by contacting the help desk at helpdesk at access-nl.org or by dropping into one of their expat centers in The Hague, Utrecht, Amsterdam and Leiden. Het Parole reported this week that the Amsterdam City Council is considering relocating the city's red light district. The city's mayor, Femke Halsema, had previously said that she wishes to make the area more habitable. She plans to release a report on prostitution in the city later this year. Meanwhile, the city council released a report in June showing that the aim of cleaning up the district, started by then-alderman and now PVDA leader Lodewijk Asher, has not been successful. Since we're recording in Amsterdam today, and we've replaced Gordon and Paul with real live Amsterdamers, we thought we would ask them about the proposal. As I said before, I'm joined by my colleagues at Dutch News, Shanai Bostash, and Deborah Nichols-Lee, and we've now also been joined by Dutch News Editor-in-Chief Robin Pascoe. Welcome, Robin. Welcome, thank you. So all, all three of you live in Amsterdam, right? For anyone who's listening, I, I do not live in Amsterdam, and I've, I've, uh, I've been forbidden from living in Amsterdam. My boyfriend is from Utrecht, and uh, he said, 
when I asked if we could look for houses in Amsterdam. He said it was nice dating you, but we'll have to break up. So I will never be living in Amsterdam. So how long have you guys all been here? Maybe that's a good question. To start I've with. been nine years. Nine years. And Robin, all of eternity. Yeah, I first came in 1981. Yes, which was actually before I was born. Deb? Yeah, also nine years, I think. Yeah, yeah. okay. And you guys have all lived in Amsterdam the whole time, right? No, yeah. not one. Where else? Well, I, where else? <laughs> you could live in Delft. It's a lovely town, Deb. Um, so sort of as an outsider, it seems to me that these proposals, they kind of have two goals. The first is to like clean up the problems with prostitution, like sex trafficking and that kind of stuff. And the second has something to do with like tourists. Am I right sort of in thinking that? Yeah, I think that the, the plans to clean up that district predated the huge increase, increase in, in tourism. tourism. But then the tourism has just added to the issues of the area. Yeah. So what do you guys want to talk about first? Cleaning up prostitution or cleaning up tourism? Well, they're saying that the two go hand in hand, basically, and that the reason why we've got a tourist explosion in this area and it's become kind of uninhabitable for the people there is partly because of this, the attraction of the red light district and of the women in the windows. And they're kind of hoping that if we move that outside of the centre, we won't, it won't be so uh, crowded in that area in the Teen 12 postcode. But whether or not that's true, I don't know, because there's a huge bar culture there, there's coffee shops there, there's loads of other things that are drawing people in, and it's really near Central Station. So you arrive in town, off you go straight away. So that's also a big question. Like, is it really about the prostitutes that are causing this, that are making this area just so uncontrollable? Do we have any sense of, like, do people actually come to visit Amsterdam because they want to visit the sex workers? Like, actually, like, avail themselves of a prostitute as opposed to just like walking through the street because I, I feel like they don't right no they come to gawp at them yes. and that's the way amsterdam used to advertise the district it used to used to put adverts saying you know come and enjoy the red light district and enjoy you know the the innovative way that we're dealing with these issues and of course it doesn't work i mean i when i first came here in 1981 the red light district was a horrible place there were no tourists but it was seedy more seedy than it was now very run down you'd fall over a junkie every you know every turn because it was full of junkies there were streets where you just basically wouldn't go because of the the seediness of the people who used to hang around there and that has improved enormously i think with the coming of of the tourists but now it's sort of gone the other way and coffee shops for example you mentioned coffee shops in 1981 there were maybe one or two coffee shops there there were no others. They've been they've there, they've brought the tourists in and they open them more when the tourists come. And the bars used to have sort of dodgy old brown bars. I can remember going to very odd places up back stairs where the prostitutes, the old Dutch prostitutes, used to go after they finished their shift. But all that's kind of gone, you know, that kind of romanticised sort of sordidness that there used to be in the 80s is now very neon and bright and, and busy. And I think you fall over drunken tourists rather than rather than their junkies, basically. I think the problem with the windows, uh, the women are saying, apparently, that people gawp at them, but they don't actually come and buy. Mm. So in the past, this used to be a place to sell your wares, whereas now you have the internet. Yeah. And now it's not working. People just come to have a good look. And in fact, someone put in a question to the next council meeting in November, talking about how sex workers aren't earning enough money and the council should deal with the problem of the underpaying of sex workers. I, I appreciate the egalitarianism socialism push in this country sometimes. Everyone has a right to be <laughs> yeah. paid fairly. It's true, it's true. You know, the face of sex work has really changed. I mean, I I'm at, I mean, I don't generally avail myself of, of prostitutes, and I, I don't know a whole lot of people that do, but from my understanding, right, that you sort of are ordering things on the internet, and they're, you know, much like Uber, just sort of using an app, and it's turning up at your hotel room door, as opposed to going out and going to the red light district, which has now just seemed to become a tourist attraction, as opposed to an actual place where sex is sold yeah and loads of the windows are empty yeah 
and even you know the one that the mayor tried to bring in uh, my red light they've they've said they're they're just closing the curtains during the day they can't make enough money yeah even the kind of state one yeah state it's run, run by yeah. run by yeah by prostitutes as far as i'm aware the sort of ideal idealized um way they were going to run this bro- brothel has not has not taken yeah. place it's 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 got professional managers in there and and you know it all depends on you know who your prostitutes are you know i mean you have all the campaign groups who are very into you know it's the women's right to be a prostitute mm. to be a sex worker should have good conditions etc on the one hand and that was the kind of idealism behind the my red light uh, mm. thing on the other hand you've got the poor sods you know from south america and eastern europe and most of the red light of the prostitutes in the red light district are not dutch i mean mm. when i first came here you'd have you know fat Gerti, they would call her you know from from <laughs> who was you know 65 and had mm. been there for 40 years but she's not there anymore it's south american and eastern european girls who you know, are brought here for whatever reason. Mm. So the proposal is to move it where exactly? Well, it's not to remove it. I mean, you you cannot imagine our nice left-wing city council forcing people to go somewhere else. No. The pro- the, what they want to do is to allow people to have licenses to set up brothels in other parts of the city. The moment it's confined to the red light district, a few, a little area of the Herakracht and down by the Montessori Lyceum School, where they've closed the coffee shops because those are bad for yeah. students, but they've left the brothels. Yes. Those are the only areas at the moment where you can have a brothel, um, yeah. a window. Um, and the idea is to change that, to allow other places to have a, a brothel going on. So you can imagine that's not going to please the, the locals there when the red light districts appear in their nice streets. Yeah, I mean, there's I mean, another sort of issue going to happen when yeah. they get that far yeah, if you, they get that far you guys all live in not red light district areas do you want the brothels moving into your neighborhood it would lead to some interesting questions on the way to school that's true mm. it uh, makes it's a lot safer yeah really because there's you know a lot of security and police wandering around and cameras yeah so, uh, in that sense but i mean it's not thought through it's another one of these sort of you know balloons that they've chucked up i mean the red light district at the moment is the oldest bit of the city it's the prettiest bit of the city it's gorgeous but it's seedy and, you know, that, I think, is the question Anita, that the council should be asking itself. Do we need to make it less seedy and actually let everybody enjoy the lovely building rather than the, the British people dressed up as bananas on their uh, stag night? So what, how would you... <laughs> British tourists in Amsterdam are by far the worst. But British and Dutch young men are the yeah, ones that cause the most that trouble. is That is absolutely correct. For once, it is not people complaining about American tourists. Like, it's just so nice to be in a place where no one's complaining about me. What would do something to maybe improve the habitable of the of the red light district to make it so that people can enjoy the buildings to make it less seedy i mean do they have proposals that might work do you guys have thoughts about how this might work well you've been studying it they've been dealing with it trying to deal with it for years yeah i mean there are loads of different suggestions but coming up from different groups you know some of the prostitutes say you could ch- you should charge to get into the area yeah. so they at oh, least because they get well they do in hamburg actually oh, yeah. yeah yeah there's there's a number of places in germany where you can't walk down their like version of the red light district streets unless you like pay a fee basically to like get in which is very interesting i think i think it'd be really difficult to organize but yeah. i can see their point because they're basically making a loss of income yeah while the tour guides are making more income yeah. because everyone wants to see them. So what are they getting out of it? Nothing. Yeah, although if you do charge, then it how do you live on this street, right? You sort of take away any sense of having, like, yeah, residential because how, you know, how would you get there? How do you go to that? How do you have friends over for dinner that don't have to, like, pay five euros yeah. to get to your doorstep? I think it just does sounds unmanageable to me. Yeah. But it's in, it does raise an interesting point that their their income is basically being reduced yeah. while the tour guides and tourism is booming. Yeah. 
um, and they're getting nothing for it. So how can yeah? And, and tourism is a city-wide problem. Yeah. They've yeah. been talking about all kinds of things, taking away the I Amsterdam. Yes, they're going to move yeah. them to uh, yeah. to where is it? App Appen Appendam. Yeah, well, they've, they've asked for them. Yeah, they've asked for them. Yes, but, um, I think they should. Well, well, what do you guys? I mean, you guys all live here. I've, I hear frequent complaints about tourists from uh, a number of you. Those letters are quite annoying. So right by the swimming pool, where I have to take the kids each week, and everyone just spills out, and they're right by the Rijksmuseum. So they're like in the busiest bit of town anyway, yeah. apart from the red light district. Of course. But, um, and so it's really annoying, people just spilling out from these letters. So yes, I took a picture of them the other day for posterity, but I think it'll be interesting to see if that area becomes more, you know, more easier, easier to navigate yeah. once they've gone. And what, what do you guys think? Should they get rid of the letters? Should they do... I mean, maybe what else should they be doing to deal well, with the tourists? Getting the letters is symbol politics. Yeah. It yeah. means nothing. Right. I mean, loads of people, they make loads of people happy. People have a good time climbing on them. I think they're great, and I think it's just a, it's just another one of these balloons that they put up, yeah. you know. It's the same uh, same Groomlinks councillor, by the way, who's yeah. come up with both proposals. Um, I think she's just trying to make a name for herself. Yeah. It, it, it's it's not getting to the, the root of the problem. I mean, you Which have is how to deal with... How to deal with Tourism or spread the tourists so yeah. that they're not just coming to Amsterdam. No, I'm sure they'd no. be welcome in Delft. We don't, don't want them. We don't, don't no. spread them in Amsterdam, no. please. No, to Delft. No, 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 no. You guys keep your tourists. We are, we are just fine in Delft. We have plenty of tourists. They all come in. They're all old people, and they come in on tour buses, and they're extremely annoying. So please keep your stag parties here. Yeah, I think probably people have a very fixed idea of Amsterdam, so they all go to the same three places: yeah. the Red Light District, the Anna Frank House, the Red Light Museum, Museum. Yeah. And, and the maybe. letters. Yeah. I think that's yeah. also because we get so many weekenders. So if you've only got two nights, then you're going to do the, do the, the top, top list. list. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So do, do you guys have any thoughts about how to like reduce the number of tourists or redirect them? Is there anything that you have seen that are good proposals for this? It's a problem that you know so many cities are coping with. Barcelona's got the same problem. Venice has got the same problem. I mean, you go to Venice. My son lived there for six months. The, the, the middle bits at Mark Square is complete hell. But there's a huge part of the island, the main island, where there are no tourists. So, you know in a way, concentrate them and let everybody else get on with it, you know, give up. I'm worried about the plans to um, make the centre more car, less cars, remove yeah. cars, more car-free streets, because that's only going to encourage your mass people on the pavements, for example. I think they'll spill into the roads. I, I nearly killed three tourists cycling here today. You know, they just sort of crossed in front I of me. I had a tourist in the bike lane just now on the way here taking why, a picture. Why didn't you just run them over, just out of curiosity? It's not a very nice thing to do. <laughs> we are English. Yeah, that's true. Maybe this is the problem. We need more uh, more Dutch people living in the city who will actually run to talk. Yeah. Five points at five exactly. points at <laughs> Maybe that'll reduce the number of tourists. <laughs> that's all that we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We will include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes. You can get in touch with us by email to podcast at dutchnews.nl. If you want to help us out, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating. My thanks to Shen Shen I <laughs> My thanks to Shenai Bostash, Deborah Nichols Lee, and Robin Pascoe for being here with me today. Many, many thanks to Wave Studios for letting us use a recording space. No thanks to Gordon and Paul, who are deadbeats who have abandoned me this Ooh. week. I'm Molly Quell. We'll be back next week. Ooh.